Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Brick, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You should find yourself a safe house or a relative close by. Lay low for a while, because you're probably wanted for murder. I'm proud of you, fellas. You all kept your head on a swivel, and that's what you gotta do when you find yourself in a vicious cockfight. Michael Preston. That all really did escalate quite quickly last week, didn't it? A bye week where, uh, didn't think we had a lot going on, but apparently we did. <laughs> Talk about that in the Arizona State Sun Devils. Brad Denny from Speak of the Devil podcast is going to join us to talk about ASU. We're so glad to have them back on the schedule. He's one of the OG guests we had on this podcast so many years ago, so we're so thrilled to have them back uh, as well. Our Dunderhead of the Week, and then Ask Sammy Anything at the end of the show. Back by popular demand, my wife's going to be asking que- answering questions, not me. Everybody seemed to like that a lot better. I can't figure out why. To say the least, I think, off the top here, that was a bit surprising last week, wasn't it? Tracy Clay's resigning and leaving. I think we certainly knew that the defense was not up to par. I didn't quite know whether to lay all the blame at Tracy Clay's feet. and Maybe I'm obfuscating from what I said, if I'm even using obfuscating correctly there. Uh, From what I've said in previous weeks, we obviously know the talent drain on defense and some of the issues they had in the secondary and certainly Tyler Huntley getting over 11 yards of pass, Dorian Thompson Robinson absolutely torching them. Unlike any defense he has before certainly didn't or lent credence to the lack of talent there was. And I know we've talked about on this show and on podcast versus everyone that it was so hard to point to one thing. What is one thing that is going wrong with this defense? I've said there's no leader. There's no person on that side of the football that you just point to and you say, that's the person who I can count on to lead this defense. And I'm worried that in this new co-defensive coordinator thing that we're going to be relying too much on Darcel McMath to do that. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But that they had no direction. That they... The, the coaching was so bad and it seems like some guys were so out of place that there was something, you know, I, I know we say, you know, there was obviously something wrong, but there was something just like fundamentally wrong with that side of the football. They should not have been, I think we all knew they were not going to be good, but this bad was surprising. And I worried that that, you know, that, that game against UCLA broke them physically and mentally. Did it break them? I think you'll find out a lot against ASU whether that did or not because ASU's offense is not very good. And it was interesting. I looked it up today in Bill Connolly's SP+, Plus, which is now on ESPN. It, it's almost like these two teams are the exact inverse of each other. Washington State is number 7 on offense in SP+, Plus, 84 on defense. Arizona State's number 86 on offense and 13 on defense. That's incredible to me. That I mean, it just 
exact flip. So if there's a get right game for this defense, it's it's this one. They're not they're playing arguably the worst FBS offense they've played all season. Probably New Mexico State notwithstanding there. So can they get right in this game? And I think the issue of you know, can they do that was the central point between Tracy Clays and Mike Leach. I always try to, you know, say how much can you really read into what a coach says? Because there's always, I think, you know, more truth behind the words they're saying and what Mike Leach and Tracy Clay said publicly this week isn't necessarily, you know, like the whole truth. And I, I try to kind of like look and dig a little deeper and say, okay, what really was the issue here? And it very well could have been that what Tracy Clay said on Twitter, they both had an idea for how to fix this. Tracy Clay's idea was radically different than Mike Leach's. And because of that, he could no longer work for him. That if, because at the end of the day, Mike Leach is still his boss. And even if we say that Mike Leach does not have the knowledge on defense that Tracy Clay's does, which I think would probably be an understatement, he is still the head coach. And if his idea for how to fix this defense is that radically different from Tracy Clay's, Clay's can't stay there anymore. We have to know, too, that Tracy Clay's has designs on having a head coaching job again, or even another defensive coordinator job that is better than this one. So does it serve him to try to fix that problem in the way Mike Leach says, or to do it his way, but it disagrees with his head coach for the rest of the season, and you have this stain on your resume going forward? For him, you look at it after two games where you allowed 52.5 points a game, and if what you say is the way to fix it is not compatible with Mike Leach's, and Leach will not see another way to doing it, then you have to leave if he's not going to fire you. And I think there is something to his assistant coaches fundamentally disagreeing with how Tracy Clays was running this defense this season. We see the differences between Alex Grinch and Tracy Clays. Grinch was so hands-on. He was also the defensive backs coach in addition to being the defensive coordinator. He put his hands on this defense every week. Tracy Tracy Clays was completely hands-off. But at least to me, it's pretty evident that even though he was hands-off, he had very different ideas about who should be playing where because as Rock Bellantoni and Darcel McBath take over, you see wholesale changes to the depth chart. Complete and wholesale changes. Pat Nunn, now number one at nickel. Skylar Thomas, back to strong safety. Daniel Isom, over to cornerback. Those are total... Those are wholesale changes with your defensive backfield. And Armani Marsh moves to nickel from corner. That is an incredible change. Dallas Hobbs is the starter at nose tackle. He was there last time. Cosmos Queedy now listed at or under edge with Namdi Aguayo. Those are huge changes. You don't see that kind of change to a defensive depth chart outside of injury this late into the season without at least to me there being some sort of fundamental disagreement about how to operate this defense between Tracy Clays and his assistants. Clays had a very you know, high-level overview of this defense because he wasn't actively coaching. His entire job was just a defensive game plan. And 
it kind of seems to me like what's being said here is that his coaches had a very different idea of how that should be going. And I don't know that you can keep a defensive coordinator on the staff who has such different ideas about how things should be going than his coaches. So does it come down to that? Does it come down to that the, the, the relationship was just not reconcilable between the co- We're never going to know for sure. But at least to me, kind of reading between the lines there, that's how it looks. Because again, you don't see these types of incredible changes halfway through the season like this. Granted, you get the bye week to install it, but even then, they just had practice on Friday without Clays. That's it. So there's going to be a lot of adjusting on the fly. And again, this is a good offense to do it against. ASU is not very good on offense. But still, they they run the read option. They have Eno Benjamin, one of the better running backs in the Pac-12. Do you want to be doing this this week? And apparently you do. Mike Leach also said this week about defensive strategy. We didn't have any shortage of strategy. We had too much strategy. I mean, all the strategy in the world. Everybody thinks there's some secret recipe or if somebody would have just said that or run this. It's never like that and it never has been. Were things too complicated? Were things too hard to grasp for these players? Because I think what you saw, if, and if, if that is the case, then what you saw last year was truly a stopgap between Alex Grinch and this year. That Tracy Clays came in and acknowledged, look, we're just going to do things your guys' way. I'm not here to impose my schematic will on you this year because you are built the way Alex Grinch wanted you to be built. So we're going to play fast. We're going to play loose. We're going to play simple. And it, it, it sounds, it, and again, this is, this is going to sound kind of weird coming from my realm and my profession of fulfillment and product fulfillment and fulfillment centers and warehouses and everything else. But when it comes to receiving products, I don't want anybody to have to put any thought into it. I want to make it as simple a process as possible so things can go as quickly as possible. And that might be the same concept here. That you just need this to be as simple as possible for these players because A, it's what they're used to, but B, it's what allows college players to play fast, to play loose, to be in position, to make plays. Because this defense isn't generating many turnovers either. That was the other hallmark of Alex Grinch defenses. Generating turnovers, getting the ball back in the hands of the offense. That even if you're going to give up a ton of points, last year they gave up more points than they had before, but they were still generating those turnovers. You have to continue to do that if you want to give the offense the ball back because the name of the game is number of possessions for this offense. You saw the problems that creates against Utah when you only get the ball four times and a half. And if that continues, this offense playing tight, playing bunched up, playing worried about having to score on every possession. So trying to do something to get the ball back in their hands more. And I think you see that with Pat Nunn at nickel, with Cosmos Queedy, the backup at edge. You're getting these more physically gifted players on the field a little bit more. They may not have the schematic knowledge or you know the positional knowledge that these other players do, but they have those physical tools that you want in a football player at that spot. Now, Pat Nunn's different than a lot of the guys who play that position. He's taller and bigger. He's almost more of a linebacker at that spot. But we're going to see how that works out. We've seen how athletic Pat Nunn can be.
but it still brings me back to this point of there still needs to be a leader on that side of the football. I think Max Borgie has kind of become that on the offensive side. And even if you don't have that, you've still got the head coach who is your de facto offensive coordinator. Can Darcel McBath be that? Because clearly what these players crave is that leadership. They need somebody who can be there that when the ball gets rolling down the hill and you know the crap is falling on your head, that someone can be there to pull you out from under it. Because at least to me so far this season, that's been the biggest issue. We saw them adjust well in the second half against Houston, but ever since then, it has been completely different. It, it's been a complete and total change from years past where when they needed to make a stop, they could go out there and at least if they were going to get beat, they were going to get beat. But they were going to try their damnedest. They were going to be in position and they were going to try to make plays. The team looks just completely lost on that side of the football. But I don't know that having Darcel McBath on the sideline with Rock Bellantoni in the box is going to fix that issue. Can Darcel McBath be the leader on the sidelines that you want him to be. Because right now, you don't have a player who can do that. You don't have Peyton Pelour on the sideline who can do that. You don't have Jalen Thompson. You don't have Hunter Dale. You don't have any of those guys available to you to be a leader for these players. So, it almost kind of sort of falls on McBath and Bellantoni to create that. Bellantoni's in the box because he's the only guy with experience doing it on this team. So, can McBath kind of step into that role? We're going to find out. And th- this is the thing that makes me most nervous about all of this, if there was one thing. I truly don't know what you're going to get from this football team when they step onto the field in Tempe on Saturday. Are they going to play loose? Are they going to play fast? Are they going to play like they've had some weight lifted off their shoulders? Because in theory, what they're getting back is a system that they know. And in theory, what they've gotten is players back in a better position than where they were before. At least to them, they're in a better position than where they were before. So is this the right course correction? And that is so scary. Five games into the year. Is this the appropriate course correction? Because I don't know. We're going to find out together. And that is extremely frightening. I haven't been this nervous for a football game in a while. To be truthful. Apple cups are apple cups. Bowl games are bowl games. But this this game seems like do or die for this season. It really seems like another loss like the one at Utah. And you can probably write 2019 off. But something close or a win gives these players confidence moving forward. I think we all kind of knew ASU on the road. You know, Tempe does Tempe things to this football team. Neither Washington team has really had any success winning in Tempe in their entire history. But can they come out and not let it get away from them too quick? One thing I'm going to be very interested to see. If Washington State wins the toss, does Mike Leach defer? 
and put his defense on the field first. Now, I know he's a guy who likes his offense, and you might want to put your offense on the field first to try to get that buffer zone of a touchdown and give the defense that early, like, okay, we feel good, we have a seven-point advantage. But do you put your defense on the field and say, look, I have the confidence in you to go out and get this done. We made this change. These wholesale changes have come in, and we're going to we're going to put you on the field first. I don't know. But Mike Leach doesn't strike me as a guy who overthinks things too much. So I'm overthinking it a bit, perhaps. We'll find out if he is too on Saturday. Brad Denny, Speak of the Devils podcast, coming up next here on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Coog Center Hour podcast, uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to have Mr. Brad Denny, the Speak of the Devil podcast, back here after uh, it's been since 2016, because that rotation was evil and took ASU off our schedule, Brad. Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad to be back. You know, it's, it's always a better football season, it's just a better year when the Cougs are part of it. Yeah, I tell everybody at UW that. Um, one and a half seasons into Herm Edwards' tenure, uh, at Arizona State, uh, things I think with ASU in the top twenty-five, four and one this year, pretty decent season last year. Things have got to be going pretty good, and this is I, I think I was pretty skeptical to begin with about you know the whole CEO of a team thing, but how is it working out from your perspective so far? Yeah, I think yeah when uh, he first was announced you know, after. You know, about a couple of weeks, people just saying like, "What, really? No way!" There's a lot of skepticism, and I think a lot of that was warranted. But you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we fast forward, you know, a year and a half, and I think every Sunnyvale fan out there, and especially those within the, the program themselves, are really feeling good about the direction of where Sunnyvale football is going. By the end of like the Todd Graham tenure, uh, things have just kind of run the course. I mean, he was he did a lot of good things. He was kind of a necessary part of kind of getting ASU back on track. But I think he's taken. Uh, things about as far as he could go, and you know, Herm Edwards and what he's been able to do with uh, you know, athletic director Ray Anderson. You know, Anderson used to be a Herm's agent. They had a great mm-hmm. relationship, and just the way they've reshaped this program, and, and they got a lot of flack at the time with the new leadership model, the corporate buzzwordy um, kind of rollout of it. But basically, it just meant that getting the program modernized, getting the resources that it needs to compete at a, a level that they wanted to, instead of just being kind of a middle tier Pac-12 program. Uh, so recruiting's been modernized. They've uh, really been able to reshape their fortunes. Um, they've gotten a uh, put together a really quality staff. Uh, Danny Gonzalez, defensive coordinator, um, Antonio Pierce, linebackers coach, has been a real massive addition. Uh, he's been one of the ace recruiters out there. ASU just landed one of the uh, top ten kids from California just a couple days ago. A fearsome linebacker. So, you know, overall, uh, you have the makings of a fun little program that you know, has has been going on for decades around here. That ASU football and talked about is the sleeping giant. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Herm Edwards is going and his staff's going to be the group to wake it up, but at least you know they're starting to nudge him a little bit, and you start to see signs of uh, kind of the future that they want to, to put out there. Yeah. I mean, this year they alone they've played 29 true or redshirt freshmen, so I mean there's, they've come in and they've kind of in a way kind of torn things down to the studs, but also been able to kind of still be out be competitive. As Herm Edwards, he likes. He likes to play the kind of the buck ball style. It's not fun to look at. It's not pleasant, but you know, it kind of gets the job done. And given what they have at their disposal, and kind of where they are in the rebuilding process, mm-hmm. it's a perfect fit. Well, because and it's not it's not just Herm Edwards, right? You can correct me if I'm wrong, because it, you mentioned Ray Anderson, his former agent, who's also 
uh, the ADA at ASU, but he's also like the vice president of athletics. So he's not like the athletic director, he's the vice president of athletics, right? So there's like, it's, like you mentioned, it's kind of corporate buzzwordy in a way, but there's, it's kind of a different structure to how they're managing it, even at like an administrative level, isn't it? I mean, vice president of athletic. I mean, his role is as athletic director, and they call it what it. You know, there might be some different terms. Yeah. Um, but you, you did mention the, the, the you are correct in, in terms of how they're kind of staffing this, because there are some other um, uh, positions within the athletic department, specifically football, that they're really kind of structuring this. Uh, you know, as a as a pro football um, uh, part, uh, and so you have like a, a guy like Al Luganville, you know, a guy who's been around pro football in the college level for, for decades. A guy with immense scouting and player uh, talent evaluation experience. And he's been brought in as basically the director of player personnel. And so that's been a huge part in, of them kind of reshuffling their focus and kind of getting the, the quote-unquote bigger, stronger, faster guys that you see uh, over the last couple of recruiting classes. Guys that, you know, m- maybe they'll play right away, but ideally they're looking to, you know, play those guys two, three years down the road. Mm-hmm. And to, have to kind of fill up those those frames, you have you know it's just one of those. Lugenbill is one of those hires that you know it kind of goes to kind of fill that middle level between Anderson and, and Herm Edwards. It's kind of you know they have uh, you know, like a Gene Boyd is another guy who's been very instrumental in this turnaround, kind of having the kind of off field aspect and, and the the player development, uh, academic side of things, especially. So it, you have all these different kind of pillars in this new leadership model that are starting to pay dividends as uh, the resources are finally getting moved around uh, and uh, uh, given to the right people, uh, used in the right ways. Let's talk about the offense uh, first here, Brad. I think that's what Washington State fans will be most interested in, given the state of our defense right now. Uh, Jaden Daniels takes over as a true freshman at quarterback, not having the best passing year so far, but his best you know I, I would say I guess his best quality is his legs and his ability to run the football alongside you know Benjamin what have you seen that you really like out of the freshman so far this year that has kind of made you go oh that's why he won this starting job yeah I mean one of the first things that that popped and you know, just kind of interacting with him is that he is so much like Herm Edwards in terms of he is unflappable he's mm-hmm. never too high never too low uh, kind of as of right now, maybe to be expected as a true freshman, a little bit on the quiet side. Uh, but he is just a guy that cannot be rattled whatsoever, whether you know things are going really well or if he just threw a picker. Uh, he is always approaching the game the exact same way, and really evidenced by you know the, the, a couple of key drives so far in difficult situations, like the the, go, the eventual go-ahead uh, touchdown drive at Michigan State, when up to that point the offense had really done uh, nothing all year long. Yeah. Uh, going on the road, beating Cal in a very difficult circumstance, and so you see that kind of those kind of intangibles just kind of off the charts. And when you pair that with a guy who is rivals number two dual threat quarterback in the country, who put up absolutely ridiculous numbers in high school as both a passer and a runner, you mentioned that he's been able to make a lot of plays with his legs, but he really kind of you know bristles when you when people discuss him as a, a dual threat quarterback or a running quarterback. He really prides himself on being a pocket guy. Uh, he, he has a, a strong arm. He can get out and make a lot of throws. Uh, you know, there are the expected freshman mistakes. I mean, there's his deep ball, especially. He's mm-hmm. had some guys open throughout the, the, the year that he's really kind of missed on. But you know, you figure as he gets more comfortable, um, the ASU's offensive line is really, especially the first you know three games or so, really did not do him a whole lot of favors and just having some poor play, guys shuffling around, getting hurt, whatever. Um, but 
over the last couple of games, you really start to see that the flashes of, of a, like a guy that I think is really going to be a, a top-tier Pac-12 quarterback in the years to come. Mm-hmm. I want to talk now uh, a little bit about Eno Benjamin. That's a name that Washington State fans are going to know pretty well because he is a guy who absolutely lit the Pac-12 on fire last year, had over 1,600 yards uh, on the ground, was incredibly impressive. And, I, I mean, it's easy to say it is a breakout year because the year previous he only had 142 yards. Kind of struggled to pick up the pace so far this year, Brad. Is that to do with him or is that to do with that offensive line you mentioned? I know – there's been a lot of sacks of Daniels, and opponents have been getting some pressure on Daniels and into the backfield a bit for a, you know against ASU. Is that more of an offensive line thing or an Eno Benjamin thing? Oh, I think it's a, definitely an offensive line thing. Eno's still been the, the workhorse back. I mean, you uh, saw some flashes against Cal, just kind of you know, he was against a, a very good Cal defense. He was still able to get 100 yards, score three touchdowns. I mean, he still has those those, those skills, that skill set that's really made him one of the, the nation's elite backs in 2018, but. You know, going back to the, kind of the, the preseason, you know, ASC was looking at an offensive line that was going to be, you know, from left to right, just full of experience uh, and senior leadership. But then uh, their starting left tackle um, left the team due to personal reasons. His status remains up in, in question. Cole Cabral, one of the better centers in the conference, um, last year was moved out to left tackle in the first three games. And he showed that he's a very good center and has really had no business being at left tackle. Um, in, the, in the first couple of weeks, they also had a true freshman center, Donovan West, uh, play. They were, they had a true freshman center, true freshman quarterback. So that really, early on, uh, created some big issues for the Sun Devil offense. Mm-hmm. But over the, against uh, you know, Michigan State, they finally hit on a combination that they've maintained since that point. They have a 17-year-old left tackle, Ladarius Henderson, uh, who's been really impressive at, at times. All but you know, there's been some, you know, a steep learning curve at times. But he, you show, he's shown a lot of. Uh, good potential. They got Cole Cabral back at the center spot where he's been a, 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 kind of a galvanizing force uh, for the offensive line. Donovan West, since moving from center, they kicked him over to right guard, and he's actually been their highest graded lineman in a couple of the games in recent weeks. So mm-hmm. you're starting to see that line come together, be a little bit more cohesive, and not, not coincidentally, you're seeing um, you know Benjamin have better performances. Now, you know while the offensive line, I think, is, has the lion's share of responsibility for Eno's uh, numbers dip to this point. Um, you know, opposing defenses are obviously stacking the boxes a little bit more, knowing that there's a true freshman quarterback in, in Jane Daniels. You're not having necessarily to worry about a guy like Nikhil Harry, um, like the, uh, in yeah. the last few years. So, you know, they're, they're really playing the run. Um, and Rob Likens, uh, ASU's offensive coordinator, is, I, I feel kind of you know in an interesting spot because he has kind of an air raid background. He was there at Cal with Jared Goff. Guy likes to wing the ball around a little bit, but Herm Edwards is a guy who obviously likes that run game. So you start to – there's a fine line that I think he's towing. And I think he's still trying to find the right balance. After mm-hmm. one game earlier this year, he said, you know, we're not last year's team. We have to try to find out what this year's team can do well. I still think he's trying to figure that out himself. But, you know, with that offensive line, that was the biggest question mark going forward so far. But over the last couple of weeks, I think – not necessarily that they've answered it, but, you know, it's not nearly – the level of concern is a what. Right. Some big changes in the Wazoo secondary this week. You have Skylar Thomas moving back to strong safety. Pat Nunn's going to play nickel. Daniel Isom moving back to corner where he should be. The passing defense has, frankly, you know, as bad as the defense has been the last couple weeks, the pass defense has arguably been the worst part of it. Who does Washington State need to look out for in the passing game for ASU? Because, you know, like you said, obviously they want to lean on running the ball, but Daniels is going to still throw it. He's still going to put the ball in the air occasionally. 
Yeah, and uh, the guy that he'd love to go to is uh, senior Brandon Ayuk. Uh, he's a guy with a junior college transfer a year ago. Uh, it took him about half the season or so to kind of get adjusted to the speed of the game, but he kind of came on uh, near the end of the year, had a couple 100-yard receiving games. He is uh, one of the nation's leaders in yards after the catch because a lot of the passes that Lycan, uh has been calling and dialing up for Daniel this year have been just kind of of the real short, quick variety. Um, you know, some of that might be, you know, doesn't want to have to put too much in the offensive line, but you know, a guy like Ayuk has made a number of plays where he just gets the ball, on, whether it's a, you know, a bubble screen, tunnel screen, or something along those lines, mm-hmm. and just been able to shake his defender and, and go for for big gains. So he's definitely the number one wide receiver for this, this fun level team. You have another senior in Kyle Williams, who a couple of years ago had a big season out of the slot. The last couple of years kind of tailed off a little bit. But he's a ferocious downfield blocker. He's a guy also got it in recent weeks has been getting more looks on third down. Uh, there's also a, a trio of, tr- of uh, true freshman wide receivers or freshman wide receivers that have been uh, getting playing themselves into a larger role. Ricky Pearsall and Jordan Curley have both good size, good physicality, uh, making some plays downfield a little bit. Uh, and the redshirt freshman, Jordan Porter, might be the kind of the X factor of this whole wide receiver group. I'm really uh, fascinated by his potential. He's a guy about six foot two, runs a, you know in the four threes. He's a downfield threat. He was hampered early on the, in camp and early part of the season with a hamstring injury. He's finally starting to get back in, into the swing of things. He's mm-hmm. been getting some more targets in recent weeks. I think that you know you will probably see a breakout game from him uh, probably here pretty soon. Not sure if it's going to be this week, but he's a guy to keep an eye on. And another guy, uh, junior Frank Darby, has been the big threat more or less for this team. Um, problem is he get well he has he's able to get open downfield a lot. He's not often to, uh, able to make the catch, and so that's been mm-hmm. kind of a frustrating aspect of this fun double offense because he's had a number of times when Daniels has put the ball, you know, downfield perfectly placed, but it just the Darby, for whatever reason, Darby's has a has a difficult time bringing it in, but you know, he might be able to pop one here and there, but I think for, you know, in terms of, you know, a guy to watch out for, it's definitely Brandon Knight. Defensively for uh, Arizona State, we'll now go to the side of the ball, at least that's going to be opposing Washington State, uh, that we're more comfortable with the offense than we are the defense, certainly, Brad. Um, I, I probably doesn't too big of a you know stretch to say this is probably the best offense maybe outside of Colorado um, they'll see all year. Is there any particular thing about this Washington State offense that worries you on the ASU defensive side? Because ASU's defense has performed pretty darn well this year. It's just that you know they kind of you know the the team as a whole they played a lot of really close games and as someone who has a weak heart I, I feel for you there uh so what is the kind of the biggest worry that WSU presents offensively you think for Arizona State coming into this week well I just think you know when you have the, the one loss uh, so far this season against Colorado mm-hmm. uh, the problem was very evident that you know ASU mm-hmm. was not able to generate any really any pressure on Steven Montez and you know the ACI I think their secondary is probably the strongest individual unit on this team on either side of the ball but I mean you can't as you know you can't ask any secondary regardless of how good they are to you know consistently cover guys four five six seconds and that's what ASU uh, up front was, was and they're not able to get back and rattle Montez and so I still have some questions as to you know what the nature of this pass rush is going to be now obviously you know like Mike, Mike Leach's offense likes to get the ball out pretty quick but you know if they're not able to consistently you know, get Gordon a little bit uncomfortable back there. I think it could make for some uh, for some long and unpleasant drives uh, for the Sun Devil defense uh, on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, they have, they have a, one key aspect that, that should help is uh, linebacker Tyler Johnson, arguably the best pass rusher on this team. He's been kind of in and out of the lineup all year. He's um, with 
nagging injuries, but looks like he might be able to get to get back in there. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the defensive line had a better showing against Cal. They were able, he granted it, you know, facing a backup quarterback, but they were still able to generate a little bit more pressure than they had against Colorado. DJ Davidson uh, at defensive tackle is, is really starting to come on as kind of one of the leaders of that group. He, he's a guy with tremendous physicality. Jermaine Lillet, a sophomore defensive end, is probably the most talented pass rusher on the line, but he's um, kind of all still trying to find that consistency because he's had some monster weeks. He was a Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. but then there's been long stretches where he just kind of is a non-factor. And I think if ASU's defense is going to continue to try to you know, put up the level of performance they've had in most of the games so far. I think Lole and Davidson are going to be two of the key guys that need to step up. One of the interesting things I found here, Brad, and we'll kind of leave it off uh, here with this, is in looking at the SP Plus uh, numbers for these teams, it's it's like they're the exact polar opposites of each other. I think Wazoo's like top 10 in offense. ASU's top 15 on defense. On offense, ASU's like 80-something and WSU's like 80-something on defense. I mean, it's like you can't... These these teams do, you know, they're bad at the thing the other team does well, like to a T. Uh, how do you see this playing out in Tempe on Saturday? I know Washington teams have always... There's something in the water you guys put down there. I don't know what it is. Teams have always had uh, problems playing in Tempe, but how do you see this going on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that it's interesting how, you know, all these two squads and their current trajectories all each kind of line up um, in different different facets. And, I, you know, I, I really like what ASU's done defensively. Defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez has been uh, just a, a terrific hire in addition. And he's been getting these guys to play at such a high level. The early part of the year, it seemed like, you know, there's so much, well, the offense was struggling so much trying to find their, their legs that, you know, maybe too much is being thrown on this defense. But I think now that – you know, we're starting to see some more off- offensive consistency. This defense is starting to, you know, they're not being left out there on the field for, for so long. I think that that's going to help them a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, what kind of uh, what kind of moves Gonzalez makes to kind of counter this, this uh, attack. Because, as you mentioned, I don't know that ASU is going to be facing a better offense uh, than they are, uh, you know, all season long than they are this Saturday afternoon. And I think, if, you know, if they, they can generate some pressure. You know, not necessarily maybe put up a whole lot of sacks. Just make Gordon uncomfortable there. I really like what ASU secondary uh, should be able to do and keep things in front. You know, they're getting Kobe Williams back, a starting corner who's been a three-year starter. Uh, he missed the Cal game, but should be good to go. You have Jack Jones, the, the USC transfer, former five-star guy. He's been a huge addition as a third cornerback. And then Chase Lucas on the other side. Shari Crosswell has been a playmaker at, at the, the Rangers' safety spot. So I, I think that you know, that'll be interesting. I, I think the big question mark for me is, is ASU's offense going to be able to keep up or score enough to keep ASU competitive in this game? I like what they've done with the offensive line in the last couple of weeks and trying to getting them to gel a little bit more and finding more consistency for Eno Benjamin. Uh, Jaden Daniels takes a step forward each and every week, but I think bottom line it's going to come down to you know whether ASU can find the consistency in the run game to sustain those those drives, play the kind of buck ball style that uh, Herm Edwards wants to play. Uh, you know, if they can you know, put together a number of those 10-plus play drives, I think they, ASU will probably be able to win a close one. Um, if, if they're not able to, then I think that, uh, you know, while the defense might keep the Cougs quote-unquote in check, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know that the ASU will be able to keep up with them if they're not able to find that consistency in the run game. Speaking of the Devils podcast, that's where you can hear Brad. It comes out at uh, Wednesday, correct? I think the same day uh, this one does. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here after I'm done talking. You might hear a familiar voice 
uh, as well on that. Some idiot rambling on about the kooks for like 20 minutes. Brad, thank you again, sir. We appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Thunderhead of the week time. And I, I try to not judge other fan bases that are tinier and smaller and looking for respect because Wazoo is so like that so often. But I'm, I'm finally gotten sick of UCF. Central Florida, because they're irritated by that. They hated... By the way, if you didn't see what Pitt did to them on Friday when they beat them, the you hate to see it over the Disney intro, I watched that like seven times. Seven times. Absolutely insane. Uh, Christian Simmons on Twitter runs Night Sports Now, a board covering UCF. And Purdue this week released a helmet with a pattern of the moon over the P on their helmet honoring uh, Neil Armstrong, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Neil Armstrong went to Purdue. UCF, of course, had that same design on their logo a couple of years ago. And Christian Simmons sent this tweet out with the two pictures of the helmet designed side by side. Quote, here's UCF space helmet from 2017 next to the helmet Purdue dropped today. I'm just astounded that a team would so obviously rip off such an original design. Yes, such an original design as the moon. That thing UCF designed for the first time ever. Those craters and that Martian surface that is billions of years old. Surely no one had created that before then. What else was Purdue supposed to do? Just like a gray P? Like just like a gray letter P on their helmet? Like is that is that what they were supposed to do? Not include the craters? Like, I, I, look, I get that UCF had that season when they at least had a just, you know, like a justification for being in the playoff. I get that. They probably deserved it. But my God, it's it, like, it's everybody against them now. And fans and everybody make it so easy. And, and Washington State fans do this sometimes too. Not to this extent, I hope. But my God, saying Purdue copied the logo of the moon? It's the moon. You, you, like, there's nothing else you can do other than, like, put the lunar lander in the background of the letter P on the helmet. Literally nothing else you can do. Ask Sammy anything time. I have one question uh, off the bat for our guest host of Ask Michael Anything. Uh, can you, like, claim to have invented, like, the pattern of the moon on uniforms? Can you... 
the invent the pattern of the moon on uniforms. Yeah. Like you invented how the moon looks on a uniform. Yeah. Uh, no, because it's the moon. Okay, good. I think my wife doesn't like Central Florida either. Sammy back here to answer questions for Ask Sammy Anything. This went so well last time. You remember last time the cats were like barking? Oh, yeah. They were only meowing. They're cats. They don't bark. Bay. Uh, the whole time. Bay. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, from at WSHUCougar08, Rick, on a scale of 1 to 10 with 1 being Donald Trump and 10 being Gardner Minshew, how much do you love Fireball? Ooh. It depends. If I let, If I haven't already been drinking... We're at like a two if I see Fireball come out. Mm. I'll like maneuver myself away from the group. But if I've already had like a couple of cocktails and some beer, I'm like right there at the front of the line. So I would, so you're like Gardner. Mitchell. I would say it would be like pre-game, like before I've pre-gamed. You're at like a two. If I have already been pre-gaming, you're talking Jean Short Gardner Minshew. <laughs> At the Craig Powers, deviled Craig. Deviled Craig, like an egg. I get it. I know, it's so funny. What's the ideal pre-funk and post-game day in Pullman for a 4 p.m. start, including booze sources like tailgates, bars, field houses, and how much time you spend at each? We have a pretty oh, set, like... Oh, oh, I got you. Please feel free to shorten up the answer and not take, okay. like, 15 minutes. I won't take 15 minutes. You, you For a 4 p.m. start, mm. your first stop is getting up at 8 a.m. because we're adults now and we're awake then. And you are going to Breakfast Club across the way in Moscow and you are getting stuff- Moscow. Whatever. Stuffed biscuits and gravy <laughs> with at least two mimosas. Mm -hmm. Or bloodies, depending on your preferences. Mm -hmm. Then you're going back to Pullman. You are stopping by the Coog first, getting some beer, fries, no burger. Yeah. Fries. And then you go to Valhalla upstairs, you get some cocktails, you get a Caesar chicken wrap, and then you go down to Bob's, you get yourself some beer, and you head on over to the tailgates. That way you have beer at the tailgates for halftime and a little bit of post game. Then as soon as the game's over, you run out, you do some beers, do some shots or whatever, and then you head down downtown to like Rico's or my office. And that way you hit all the iconic places in, you know, the whole day. And I'm back down by my hotel. That's the other important That's thing. That's the other important thing is you're down by the hotel, so your stumbling home is not nearly as bad, nor are you competing with the lines with a bunch of 22-year-olds. That's the most important part to me. At WSU Brady, nine TDs apparently isn't enough. Yeah, I know. No, it's not. Do you have a food combination that only you like, and what's the strangest combination that you've ever tried? Um... The only food combination that I've ever had that people think is insane, but I think is delicious, my sister and I actually created when we were kids, and it is applesauce with popcorn and Parmesan cheese, and not like sh like and like whoa, powdered whoa, 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 Parmesan whoa. cheese. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've been married for over seven years and together for twelve. Twelve. You used to put. <laughs> <laughs> applesauce on popcorn with parmesan cheese no the ratio was more you had a bowl of applesauce that you would sprinkle popcorn in and then cover with parmesan cheese <laughs> it was delicious it is still delicious to this day but it is yeah it's 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 weird and i don't think anyone else is gonna that i am horrified <laughs> right now 
We're going to talk about this after we're done recording. <laughs> at SC at CQ8606, Sean, has there ever been a person that you would be embarrassed to admit you had a celebrity crush on, if not just a current celebrity crush? Um, I mean, Michael Phelps, but I feel like that's... Oh, that dude's that's, yoked, though. Yeah, that's not weird. That He's just kind of got a butter face. Um... <laughs> Weird. I mean, Daniel Craig, but he's also that's not weird. He's not brooding weird. and handsome. I, I I don't really have like a weird celebrity crush. Like they're I'm. It's pretty much just really attractive men. You can just say me. That's weird crush. You're not a celebrity. Yeah, well, to these people, I am. Oh. At Sports with Neil, WSU's women's soccer stan account. Do the Coop Center Hour producers prefer wet food or dry food? Oh. They absolutely prefer dry food. They won't eat I mean, wet they food. Don't, they don't hate wet food. I don't it's know weird. It We've tried to like starve them and give them wet food and they still won't eat it. Uh, your sister-in-law wants to know who your favorite is, Uller or Freya. Oh, that's just... That's Uller. It's I don't even Uller. know why we're that's asking that question. That's not even a question. She's like so much your he, he, animal. I, I think if you died tomorrow, like if we both died at the same time, he would for sure eat you first. The, why do we have to go this direction every time you do this? this is I'm going to get an FCC fine. At Chris McKinter of Chris McKinter. Why do some people at work feel they need to acknowledge me every time we pass in the hallway? I've seen you four times already. You know how it's going. Because people like to make other people feel uncomfortable when they're uncomfortable. And I would say nine times out of 10, it's because they have like forgotten that they've seen you like the second time and now it's weird. And now it's like, well, I acknowledge you the first and the second time I've seen you a third time. Now I have to acknowledge you again. And it's just this like endless cycle. It's like resetting. It's like you reset yeah, after a certain It's like when you awkwardly make eye contact with someone on the bus and then you can't stop like like just looking around and constantly making awkward eye contact. You're that with person them. on the bus, aren't you? Absolutely. You're that weird person I hear about on the bus on like Seattle Reddit. And Absolutely. Stuff. Okay, because once good. I've like looked in a direction and I've made awkward eye contact with them, all I think about is, oh my god, I bet they're looking at me. And I look up and, and sure enough, I, they're looking at me and I'm making awkward eye contact. Are again. they looking at you because you're getting applesauce sprinkled with Popcorn? I no, and Parmesan cheese. God, you're Oh yes, the best how can I forget? Part. Yes, how can I forget the dairy? Uh, at Jeff Harris 2012, what's the largest group you've ever had for a Boons Pass, and how many Boons Passes were involved? I want to say it's like. I think the largest we had was af was the 465 open to close because it was 455, broadcast, 465 yeah, so it was broadcast broadcast capstone courses. I want to say we had 20. And I think we must have had five or six I think going. I think we had two of every flavor going around. I don't think like, we had quite that many. But I we had think quite we a had few. two because it was like it would be like one every like third person. Mm. So I want to say we had two of every flavor. Okay, at Coog0818, Eric Smith, what's more believable, aliens, Sasquatch, Sasquatch, or ghosts, and why? Oh, okay. Well, aliens. I w okay, I would go aliens. We have Sasquatch. blown through the time I had allotted for this, by the way. Eh, he'll be fine. Aliens, Sasquatch, ghosts. Because aliens are for sure real. If you think we are the only living thing in this entire universe, man, you are egocentric. Um, Sasquatch, I think, is just a giant bear. Um, and I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I love the Pacific Northwest. Therefore, Sasquatch is 100% real. Um, and uh, I think ghosts could be real. People believe in them. You know, I don't think ghosts just come back to move stuff to mess with you. Like, they, if they're going to come back, they're going to give you, like, a message. Like, they're not just going to be like, ooh, I moved your shampoo from one side of the shower to the other. Ha <laughs> ha! No, that's just your spouse. Uh, <laughs> at Nick Beatty 72 Nick Beatty, how many wins will the Kooks have in their remaining game? Oh, Lord mean uh i 
think I think four. I think we're gonna get four more wins. Vegas Bowl. I think we're I think we're Vegas Bowl bound. I think I think four more wins feels feels right to me. Um, any more than that is obviously great, but you know it happens. At Mr. Tommy G Man, Tom Gilanella is Michael soft, fat, happy, and entitled. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I, I yes, I agree with all of that a hundred percent. At Ben Wyman, Ben Wyman, I'm taking my girlfriend to homecoming against Colorado. It's her first ever trip to Pullman. What experiences can we not, she not pass up? We kind of went over a few of them yeah. already. Breakfast Club, you need to hit Valhalla in the Coog. Yeah, the Coog is definitely Tailgates. one. Tailgates. Um, if you know someone at a tailgate, that's ideal. Just wandering around the tailgates isn't as fun unless you have like a destination. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say the Coog, Valhalla, Breakfast Club across the way. Um, and, and I think downtown, like Rico's and hitting up the Daily Grind, I think is also a really kind of fun way to get to like see the town. Their breakfast burritos are really good. Their breakfast burritos are, and they're big. Like you could easily split a breakfast burrito. We should have done that when we drove to Ben. Yeah, we didn't we think didn't that. Do we that. didn't think that. Really At West Coast Bias 11, Nate Kelly, what's the greatest jersey number in sports? I already know what you're going to say. 24. Oh, I didn't know what you were going to say. 24. There you go. Ken Griffey Jr. At Lucas Coog. Lucas Coog, longtime listener, first time caller. She promised me last fall she was crashing our wedding this December. Is this still in the works? I mean, you give me a date and a location and I will be there. I mean, that's not, if you give me the option to show up to a wedding where there is booze and food and merriment. She'll be there early. I'll be there. She'll be there early. Uh, Score prediction for this weekend. For this weekend? um, Me not crying on the floor? ASU 34, Washington State 28. We'll talk to you guys for homecoming week on the Coop Center Hour.